Hi, this is Hal Blaine, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Or at least you should be. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. I can't believe the news today. Oh, I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song, diggers? Christian Swain with you all again, doing the good work of rock and roll archaeology with the help of you diggers from all over the world. Together, we're going to tell all the tales of the rock and roll age and prove to the cultural elitists that this global phenomenon is to be taken as serious as Shakespeare was after his age had faded. Most people don't know that uh, Shakespeare's plays were intended for the commoner and considered lowbrow at the time, and only after his death began its rise to the preeminent position those works are to the English language. My point being, this rock and roll stuff will resonate through the centuries and only gain in seriousness as an art form the further we get away from it. Uh... You want some proof? Okay. Uh, Calling Nobel laureate uh, Mr. Dillon to the witness stand. Uh, Please have the bard come to the front of the stage. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. If you haven't heard, episode 18, 1969, part one is now out and available. It's a year so big in rock and roll, it will take us two full episodes to do it justice. And yes, we are deep into episode 19, so I'm hoping it won't take quite as long as usual. Uh, The whole thing was basically mapped out as a single episode until we came to the realization it really was uh, two parts of a whole We are already very deep in the research and writing phase of the second half. In the end, it will be three hours uh, or more of this dynamic uh, and packed year as we get to the end of the 1960s. The first episode came in at about an hour and a half. Uh, I expect the second one to uh, be the same. There is a lot that we wanted to say uh, before we begin to move on into the next decade. So hold on to your hats while listening to episode 18, knowing it's only half the tale. Uh, We left you all with a cliffhanger for a reason. Lastly, uh, take a listen to all the rock and roll goodness of Pantheon Podcasts Network, where you can find this show and rock and roll archaeology, as well as many other cool and awesome shows on music. Uh, Like I said in the housekeeping of episode 18, if you have listened, I believe there are over 25 different podcasts uh, on the network now. And the kicker is that all of them, yes, every single one of them, are strictly about music. Pantheonpodcast.com, all right? No crime drama, no techie shows, no guru telling you how to lose 10 pounds, find work-life balance, and meditate yourself into the top 1%. No, just sweet, sweet music. Again, go to Pantheonpodcast.com to find the treasure trove of podcasting paradise. 
Wow, that's a lot of peas in there, huh? Okay, let's get to this week's guest. Gibbard-written song uh, from the 2016 album Good Times. It was a 50th anniversary album for the Monkees, and it is sweetly sung by our guest today, Michael Nesmith. You know, green knit cap Mike from the Monkees, right? Uh, uh, that's the last bit from the Monkees you will hear today. Uh, you diggers know where to go and find the rest. So, But why? Why? Because Mike Nesmith, uh, the southern boy with the smarts and easy charm in that fictional, non-fictional band, is far more than just his time in and out of that 1960s cultural touchstone. Yes, his mother invented liquid paper. Yes, he was a songwriter before he was cast into the American made-up TV group. Uh, And some of those songs include something like uh, Linda Ronstadt's first hit, Different Drum. And yeah, he created an early version of MTV with something called Pop Clips that he pitched to Warner Brothers as a radio station for TV that would play video clips 24 hours a day. And yes, he won almost $50 million from PBS after he amassed a huge library of non-theatrical films in the 1970s and 80s that he had licensed to PBS, uh, who then stole the rights from his Pacific Arts company. Um Karma's a bitch, even for PBS. I mean, really? PBS? Really? Really? uh, I'm surprised. We will touch on some of this in uh, our interview today. I mean, really, I do have a monkey with me, so I have to ask a question or two about that. But mostly we're going to focus on what I think is the most overlooked portion of Michael Nesmith's career as a musician and entrepreneur, and that is his help in the creation of the Americana music scene. Now, most historians give credit to Graham Parsons as leading the rock and roll horses to the cool waters of the country music scene, but I think uh, there's a great case that without Nez laying tracks uh, even before Parsons' arrival, into Southern California, uh, and Nez's continuation in the genre, uh, even after Parsons' death, we might not all be listening to this crossover genre today. As I said, he was writing in this crossover style before the Monkees, so a few years ahead of Parsons. And then, after the TV band fell away, he hooked up with famed pedal steel session player Red Rhodes to form the first national band. Um, Talk about uh, crossroads of country, pop, and rock. Uh, Go listen to that stuff and tell me I'm wrong. 
the band's original lineup and deal only lasted less than two years. It was it was like 18 months. But the Nationals recorded three albums, Magnetic South, Loose Salute, and Nevada Fighter. All three pure SoCal Americano. Of course, uh, the record sales weren't there. I, I think America just wasn't quite ready for the first national band. They weren't quite ready for Graham Parsons or the Graham Parsons-led birds, uh, as you uh, probably know. Uh, listening now, though, the first national sound current and could easily be on the festival circuit with thousands of Americana-sounding bands today. And maybe they should, since Nez has a redux version of the band going now. By 1971, though, the original band uh, had called it quits, though Nez and uh, Red continued to work together until Red's passing in 1995. But those three albums was about it. Well, after a lot of his very own rock and roll archaeology, uh, Mr. Nez Smith found a live recording from one of the bands he and Red had put together after First National ended uh, that was recorded at McCabe's Guitar Shop on August 18th, 1973. You see, Nez considers Red his true musical partner in life. Uh, as he puts it in the title of the album, his cosmic partner. Um, listening to a lot of the First National and uh, this new live album, um, you know, I can certainly hear it and I bet you will as well. Uh, we will get into this and all things Michael Nesmith, and boy, will we go out there. Uh, one last thing. Uh, Michael is a big fan of the recently legalized cannabis industry, so you might hear a few coughs and snorts from uh, some indulgence, and uh, we might take a rocket ride into outer space from time to time. But it is fun and certainly interesting getting into the mind of one of rock and roll's true innovators, entrepreneurs, and cultural pillars. Uh, he's quite the interesting guy any way you slice it. Diggers, here's Michael Nesmith. Welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock, Michael Nesbitt. I couldn't be happier to be here. It was an arduous, interesting journey. I didn't know there was an entire tribe of Indians. Did, did you had to Indians get through? Are, well, either they were Indians or they weren't. I'm not exactly sure. Well, let's just call them Indians. Okay, yeah. Or, yeah. or in and out. Okay. Oh, yeah. in and out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a pleasure for us to have you on it the is show. my pleasure, too. So my first question is... Why? Yeah, he's guilty. Is he? Oh, no, I'm sorry. You were going to ask that question. It's in the airing on a I usually wait day. until the end to ask that question. So uh, why put out an album from a performance that is almost 50 years old now? <clears throat> well, let's see. How do I answer that question? 
there's really no reason not to. And there are all kinds of reasons to do it. And the reasons to do it have a certain gravitas that build up over time, at least in my mind. So I'm looking around at stuff that I did 50 years ago, which I can say now. <laughs> and <clears throat> I think, you know, that was pretty good. I'm going to press that up and people can play it on whatever will still play it because that's where how far back in archives we're going. And if you get down into that, once you're past the ethnomusicology and once you're past the, 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 the epistemology of an archive, all of that stuff, once you're past all that stuff and you start to see it for what it is, you're just looking at it and you're going, oh, this is that culture. Yeah. These are those people. Mm-hmm. It's it's thrilling to me. I don't know why. I think that really is him, them, her, it. And so when I listen to it, the record separates itself from the performer. And the performer is left alone to transmit, translate the song and the words and just direct ears to ears. And it's... It, empowering in a way so when I realized that realized that when I realized that I thought hang on this looks like a good time to be had here so think about the long ball about that time I ran into Stuart Brand I think Mm -hmm. about that time and, and his coterie he was he is maybe I haven't seen him in years Living Whole Earth work. Catalog. Huh? Whole Earth Catalog. Stuart Whole Man Earth, Catalog. yeah, Stuart Brand. Well, I'll leave all that to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stu- but he had a group of guys, and their project they were working on was a 10,000-year clock. Now, I don't know whether they're still working on it or not. They sent a guy down to me. He They were trying to hustle me up for some money, and I was thinking, I'd, you know, this would be a good place to put a few bucks and sit around for 10,000 years and see if it matures. And I was thinking about doing it, and they sent a guy down who had a ball about the size of two billiard balls, about this size, made out of tungsten. Now, if you've ever picked up anything made out of tungsten like that, you realize that the weight to the sight ratio is just completely off. It weighs about ten times more than you think it will. Right. I mean, not your average bill, bill, billiard ball. No, it's yeah. no, it's not your average. But yeah, and <clears throat> so they gave me that little demo, and they said, "Now, ten thousand year clock, bloody, 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 blah." And the more they talked about it, the more I thought, "I can do that with my music. I, my music will last that long if you take care of the long term storage techniques. Yeah, pay attention to all of that. Get turned into high tech." Give up any cowboy outlaw references you've ever had. Uh, a long salutary salutary wave to Dylan and the gang, and off on your way because you're going into the future. Mm-hmm. So when I start trying to put that together in music and so forth. I realize just how impossible the task is. I mean, you do, you can't you can't make it, a ten thousand year old clock. Or yeah, or get ten thousand years into the future and see it in perfect perspective. Yeah, you can't do it. So, the most fun to be had is like on a carousel, 
where and the most fun on a carousel. Excuse me for laughing. I'm remembering my three-year-old times uh, on the carousel is the seat. I didn't realize it was a seat. I thought it was a hobby. The horse that went up and down. Here, this is the fun. See, I'm only holding on the reins, Mom. And the chair goes out. I can stand on the stirrup. That's not it. It's the seat. Because when you sit in the seat, you don't move. The whole carousel moves. So you're now passing by this ever-unfolding photogravure of the place that you live, but rendered in pictures as you're sitting on it. It's the most captivating <laughs> to, me, to me, if you can't already tell. It's the most captivating ride at the Midway, is the, is the still seat on the carousel. And the bigger the carousel, the better, you know. It's, That's interesting. There's something that you can, you can reincarnate, I find, mm-hmm. which is anticipation. Even though you may feel like oh, I've finally gotten the president I've always wanted or perhaps always deserved, you, you realize this thing that I'm doing called life just is, is perpetual. It goes on and on and on. All of these events will continue to happen throughout our life, mm-hmm. meaning mine. I'm talking to myself and all these things, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, it, so just roll with it. And what will happen is you will turn around one day and all of your friends will be there, but they will be in the time that you're in. So you'll all have the same plane of manifestation. But if you don't have your music with you, not, not just you singing, but the recordings of them, they're works of art, you've got nothing to say. I said, well, I don't want to show up at a party in the 31st century and or or the 31st, 3100 century without anything to say. So this is, <laughs> so this here is, we are. This is it. This <laughs> and is, here's, yeah. here's one of the first albums. That, now, how many albums do I think I'll be able to make on this series? This may be. <laughs> this, well, it depends on how many uh, yes, interested parties uh, yeah. uh, are, are, are willing to uh, go along this journey with you. Well, yes and no. And, and it also depends on whether or not I can just stay awake. Stay conscious. Stay, you know, actually li- do the heavy lifting and make it, make it, make it work. And I don't know whether I can or not. I'm thinking. Right so this now. is just the first of a t- attempt of of well, a lot a- of material that you have uh, curated uh, right. uh, over the decades and that you intend to kind of put together. And this is actually 1.3. I mean, it's not a second attempt or a third. It's a 1.3 because I'm still in the, in the first iteration. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So it's a 1.3, and it has a lot of nice stuff in there that, that came out of the three. One of it is uh, it's very crisp. My, my son, Christian, produced it. Mm-hmm. He did an outstanding job. He's a, he's a master producer, and he, um, he rendered this rickety old tape into just a, a beautiful digital recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that will ride with me. It'll be in my saddlebag when I get to Seattle. Back in Seattle <laughs> again. <laughs> so why the name Cosmic Partners? Well, I try, I've tried to explain to people what, it's like, what it was like dancing with a Red Rhodes. Yeah. Because Your musical partner at the time. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're in, in a band, it, at least with me, 
you're dancing with the other players. That's basically what you're doing. And there's yeah. some, some people or a who, some, some people say conversation, but a dance is another way to put it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but conversation silent. I mean, a conversation is noisy. Dance is not. Hmm. Dance is silent. Mm-hmm. You don't have anything to do except move. That's all you have to do. But be that as it may, the point of, of the dance between a, members of a band is is palpable to me. I don't know whether it is to anybody else. Yeah, I know. And when I met Red, about. and I watched how he was playing his instrument, I'm. I think there'll be some footage around. I'll find at some date where we'll get to see how he used his foot to roll onto the pedal in order to get the note to extend exactly the right length and then go back exactly the right and and uh, <clears throat> divert from the root note just far enough so it had just enough time to get back. I mean, the calculus of the instrument was just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. The pedal steel guitar. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, the pedal steel guitar. And so his <clears throat> his ability to get into that calculus and roll the numbers and roll the notes, and it comes out sounding like this, you know, he's actually painted with the numbers. Wow. <laughs> he's so, actually done something. A I've true master. Been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. A, a master, uh, isn't there one up, a virtuoso? What's oh. a, a virtuoso can play anything they hear? Yeah. That was red. Wow. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Red Rhodes. Um, he, he was a, a member of the L.A. Session group, the Wrecking Crew, with other greats like Hal Blaine, Tommy Tedesco, Glenn Campbell, uh, and a whole host of other top session musicians at the peak. Um, and, and that's right, right? And that's where he, he got his professional start, right? As you asked the question, I realized I never really had that conversation with him. Uh, he was from Illinois. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. We had the same birthday. Found that out pretty quick. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. December 30, 1942. Yeah, came in the world together. I guess so, or across the street. Yeah. When I met him, I was just immersed in country music. And I was so interested in how the big walls of chord and, and the music would create itself inside of a, of a country band. And I realized these guys don't know it. They think they're playing country music, but they're playing jazz because the excursions are out there into the 13s and 19s, and then they roll back in on themselves and they recalculate it and go back out. That That's the standard issue um, bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. That's how they play. Mm-hmm. And, and do everything arpeggiated, by the way. Mm-hmm. I used to watch that show every day. Tell us what they're going to have to do, Bob. All they have to do is screw these two caps on this two bottles of perfume. Well, that seems empty enough, Tom. <laughs> yeah, but they're going to have to do it in boxing gloves. <laughs> and that's what you found in this bluegrass of country music. That Well, uh, I, found that, I found that intricacy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was my point of departure was uh, for traditional folk music, mm-hmm. Appalachia and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. them their places. And, but, you know, it's, it's set down very uh, structure, very rigid, so that it's not, uh, it's not just free for it's all. It's not free form, yeah, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not free form at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are these, everybody's sort of playing these cascading arpeggiations that just roll down the keyboards that are fabulous to listen to. And Red 
because he had a slide bar, could roll those arpeggiations down a scale, starting, and you take it all the way down to a truck horn. And then on top of that, he would have the harp-like element of the instrument, mm-hmm. which he played in the right hand, and he would wiggle the bar so that it had this tremolo to it, like you would hear an electric amp, but he did it acoustically with his hand wiggling the bar on strings, and I just thought it was... Magical. Magical is the word. And you... I said, do that thing you do. <laughs> do the wiggle bar thing, I think is what we were calling it by the time he passed. But it was a... Um, you just you had heard it because it's all over the place. Leslie, every Leslie speaker has this feature, but uh, but nobody is expecting it to come out of nowhere, right? Out of the hands of a person, yeah. Not a not a mechanical yeah. instrument like a Leslie speaker would be. And all of these things you see, we've been talking about, and then I was thinking about. If you just lift any of them up and toss them like a frisbee into the future, just go and see what tree it's landed in. And the view from there is extraordinary to me. I mean, I look at the, really? Listen to those scales. Listen to that uh, musical pattern. Listen to those harmonies. Listen to this. Because it's uh, all a revelation to me. I'm thinking, wow, that's music. That's the real stuff. And then, you know, that coupled with my, sense of longevity is to say hang on to this mm-hmm. this moment here right now so I'm, this is a good time to put uh, a record out of you and red uh yeah uh, I thought at, so. at the peak uh mm-hmm. of uh, the first national band yes. and uh uh and get everybody to maybe remember that moment back in 1973 well i take the point as you say it and i agree with it Mm-hmm. But um, I also have a, a a little difference there, a little um, place where I think it's it's best to come to it with no idea of what it is, no expectations, mm-hmm. yeah. So that you're you're uh, it's limitless in all directions of thought. Mm-hmm. Where we look, there it is, and there it's doing its thing, and it will continue long after you and I are looking at it, and. It re- replants itself in our thinking. I think. I think. I don't. I mean, I don't know any I, of this. I, I, I think we've seen that several times uh, in, you know, uh, beginning in the twentieth century, because we've been able to actually, in real time, record yeah. um, general life um, uh, in, you know, uh, music. Let's let's just focus on that. That kind of cycles back uh, every so often after a few decades where people are able to actually relive and, and or, or those who weren't around at the time can learn, wow, this was, this was the reality of that moment. It's uh, also, I think of it as an aesthetic recalculation and that it's like uh, you have a, uh, uh, what, is, what is it when, you, when, the, when the clock goes around and, and, and goes around and recalculates? It's a... You, if you start rolling out time mm-hmm. on the scale of a 10,000-year clock, yeah, this means it has to run for 10,000 years untended. Right. Oh, unattended. Right, right. Oh, th- yeah. this well, back I mean, to the you Stuart have planetary Brand motions concept, and right. things. 
because you could, if you could figure out how to hook into it, would run the clock. Yeah. But you'd have to have that yeah, in order for it to really be a legitimate thing. So, and I wanted to get to the ten thousand year clock early. <laughs> so. I can hear some of the music from the future mm -hmm. and I can play some of the music from the present. So you, you can hear the music from the future. Explain yeah. that to me. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of the sonic hard physics equivalent of hearing the acoustical bang before you see it through the sound barrier. Right. Yeah. yeah, so uh, you uh, a, a, a visual arrives before the sound does. Well, not in my estimate. It, it's much more like a dream. Are you familiar with the word hypnagogia? Mm. I mean, no offense by that. Mm -hmm. Nobody is, but <laughs> but uh, hypnagogia. Well, allow me. Yes, please. Hypnagogia is a word that means to describe that state immediately between waking and sleeping. Oh, the on and off switch. Yeah. What's that moment right in it's, between? It, it, yeah, and it's, and it's called a hypnagogia. H-Y-P-N-A-G-O-G-I-A. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And it has a modifier form, hypnagogic. Uh-huh. And uh, you can, you can play, play, play around the grammar wheel with it pretty good. But... As far as it being that moment where you're in two different places at the same time and you're seeing things that you couldn't possibly be seeing, right? that moment is exactly where I want to be and be able to play my music and hear my music. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds pretty willful to me right now, and I have a, I have a feeling... That that goal will change. I mean, it might change this afternoon, <laughs> but it's a it it is a it's a soft goal. It's like I don't have to make the touchdown. I don't have to do anything. I just run around with the ball if I want. When to. it happens, it happens. When it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, it's not quite as fateful as that, but yes, uh -huh. there's a certain destiny, a destiny arc somewhere on the field, and if you can find it, you can ski it. Yeah. But it's hard to find, you know. It's really, really hard to find that 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 perfect line, yeah. if you will. Mm -hmm. So, do you think the original First National Band gets enough recognition as a pioneer of the rock country crossover of the late '60s and early '70s? Well, I think it's probably just uh, you know a logic of events. I don't, I don't think it's not enough or too much. I think that uh, it just is. It just sort of is. People, people who know know, and people who don't know maybe don't want to know so i stay out of all of that i don't yeah you're not in control of that destiny this is uh, true it is what it is this is true um, but you know a lot of people have uh, begun to go back and revisit uh some things that maybe were missed the first time yeah and and then uh reassess uh the historical record well i'll guarantee that that exists because there's so many things in those records and that were done that no one heard when they first came out. No, no, no. Um, so the initial period of the band is really about 18 months, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and that's three albums that were released in less than 12 months. Yeah. Uh, uh, Magnetic South, uh, Loose Salute, and Nevada Fighter. Um, so, uh, you know, the question is, how, how do you 
compose and record all that material in such a short time span? Well, uh, clearly not alone. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but because it, you, you also have John Ware on drums and John London on bass, along with yeah, you and Red, yeah. right? Along with Red and everything, and, and uh, we were we were functioning pretty much as a band, which with a band leader, which was me, mm. and uh, every, everybody deferred to my judgments, but I was constantly trying to find traction on their ideas to see what judgments I could attach to with them. And it turned out to be pretty evenly balanced, you know. If, if I got traction on one point of view, but felt like my other foot was hanging out in the air, a pillar would show up with a perfect stirrup on it, and you could just... From just, one of the other guys. Yeah, from mm -hmm. someplace else. Mm -hmm. And those sorts of structures built themselves all the time inside of a band. Yeah. The, the, the closest actual description of it I ever saw or read was Bucky Fuller's description of it in Tensegrity is a book that he wrote about the icosahedron. Are we getting a little off here? No, 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 no. You're, you're free to fly, my friend. Well, I don't... <laughs> I'll, pull, I'll reel you back if, okay. if, if, you, if you go too far. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, I don't... Where, where were we? I don't, Bucky Fuller. Yeah, Bucky Fuller. And I, was, I was talking about Bucky Fuller's Ability to describe uh, how how you know the intricacies of uh, of, of of you uh, the four of you working together, yeah. and how if you went off a little too far, they somebody would be there to grab you. Yeah, it was it. That's true. Now, in order to make the a analog work better, it's not a rescue. It is a gift. Okay. Did you ever try this? Boom. That's the way Red started smoking dope when he played and, and when he when he hit those strides. I said, Red, have you ever thought about this? He said, oh, I can't. I said, why not? He said, I just cough too much. I said, well, you don't have to cough. You can just, you know, put a filter on it or something like that. Well, I think you came up with a solution for him. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Was it was called, uh, 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 it had something to do with peanut butter. Uh, it was peanut butter. Yeah, Jif, uh, something Jif. Uh, Medicated Jif. Medicated Jif. Was yeah. that you that actually invented that? Yeah. So the, uh, 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 an edible uh, that's an edible, ready yeah. to uh, to be served. Yeah, especially if you're a musician yeah. and all you have to do is just unlatch your safety belt. And you're so, <laughs> right, you're, right. You suddenly realize that the size of the craft is the size of, of uh, a, a, a few galaxies. Of your imagination, yeah. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, uh, the the four of you uh, all worked together to help put all this music in this short period of time onto. Well, I'll tell albums. you something that was in, yes, that you're right. I, I say yes, uh, but there was something else going on, which which was uh, John uh, London and Red uh, were all trying to find a way to play the music that brought out the next I mean it sounds it's hard for me to talk about because you know it was 30 40 years ago yeah and and but to get that music to move itself to the next train on the line the next car on the line yeah because um, so uh, 
or are we talking about uh, popular music at the time and and what that that next iteration would be the next big thing if you will no we're talking about country music at the time okay yeah and clearly but again with country music what the next that's iteration right. would be so you, you kind of had the bluegrass groups over there, mm-hmm. and I think they were kind of dying out by the by yeah. the mid '60s. Well, there was um, there was there was a whole kind of country music, which was pop country, and, Nashville sound. Yeah, and he said, "Oh man, that sounds great! You're going to go pop," and I'd say, "You're going to go pop <laughs> crossover, right, right? Right? What do you mean? <laughs> you mean pop?" <laughs> pop music uh, in country, but but it it, it had happened, uh, and uh, yeah. uh, you know here, I mean you know here. Johnny Cash a great example. Here of, we are, uh, somebody who uh, was able to cross over. Yeah, here we are, uh, but it's not. I see. So that, were they actively trying to think what is that next iteration beyond? Uh, oh, I uh, John I never Red? Met, no I didn't meet any guys like that. No, uh-huh. no they were just grinding out um, you know a country date and. Moving on to the next thing. I also don't mean to denigrate their contributions, but you know, when you're in a band like that, you got to play three shows a night. You don't tend to sit around the motorhome and smoke. <laughs> you, you know, you're working all the time. That's yeah. a hard job. It's a job. Yeah. 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 The life of a musician uh, appears glamorous only on the surface, uh, and maybe for a couple of hours a night, uh, it's a lot of fun. And then there's uh, and a usually the people who don't think about it very deeply. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So me being a, a late stage boomer and and therefore someone um, too young to be tuned into the these changing musical tastes of this period, you know, you're a great person to ask. How did the LA scene with yourself, people like Graham Parsons, Linda Ronstadt, and then what became the Eagles, get country back into rock and roll? I think you need to agree to a, a few premises in order to unpack that. Mm. The first is that L.A. is country. It's all farm country. It's, mm. uh, it's orchards and, and uh, estuaries and f- rich, fertile fields. Desert. And, and, yeah. All of those things. Yeah. They're, all, they're all there. And so the people who tamed the land and moved water through it, they were all farmers. Mm-hmm. And they were all um, working with the land and working with their hands. And this is rudimentary for country music. You have to have an understanding. It doesn't mean you have to have done it. I think uh, John Hartford. You don't have to actually experience it. You just have to be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when John Hartford took a job as a riverboat captain. John Hartford uh, wrote that uh, great song, Always gentle on my mind, mm, mm. and uh, but he kept thinking, you know, here I'm a banjo player, but I don't really live the life. I'm going to get on a real riverboat. I can drive one. I'm going to see if I can get a job going up and down the Mississippi. I said, boy, that sounds almost real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and he made it real. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. Is no, your point, right? no, you don't. It's as real as it's. You as just real. need to imagine it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, you can't denigrate hard work, yeah. that, and that helps. It there's a, there's a output to it, I think. But be that as it may, mm-hmm. so country in L.A. just to your point, just went hand in hand. It was, and it was so. It was it was embedded in the in the culture in the people there. You could see it. I could for sure hear it in the traffic noise. Really? It, yeah, I could hear it in a diesel bus idling at a school stop. 
I could hear it. It was there. It was that. It was that repetitive butter da butter da butter da butter da thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and it had all the overtones and clanks and tinks of a of a hot dog country band. I never tried to lift anything out of that because I'm not sure you can. Mm-hmm. But I uh, and wasn't too much drawn to working that hard on lifting it out if he could. But it was it was a uh, testimony that it said, look, what you hear with this idling buzz is only a tiny portion of what there is. So what you heard was... Dun, da, 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 yeah, sure. Dun, da, da, da. That's it. And that is cutting away everything that doesn't look like a squirrel, <laughs> which is the, the joke, you know. God, that looks just like a squirrel, Grandpa. How do you do that? Well, you take a block of wood like this here, son, and you just cut away everything that doesn't look like a squirrel. There you go. There you go. Do you think that uh, some of the, the influence that was going on uh, or the, the, the stuff that was going on in Bakersfield, you know, Merle Haggard, uh, um, uh, the Buckaroos, uh, and that, you know, coming into L.A., did, did that? do you think that had something to do with it as well? Well, I think Bakersfield to some degree predated the whole L.A. thing. Mm-hmm. And L.A. never really had that hardcore Book Owens thing. Yeah. That Dwight picked up on later on. Much later on. Realized how important it was. And Dwight Yoakam, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah, Dwight purveyed it. He put it out there for people to hear, and he did a great job of it. But that wasn't the case in the 60s. No. As as you were, um, you know, gravitating to this sound here. Uh, Although... As we'll get into in a minute, you're from the South, and so it was kind of in your blood, and you brought it with you. Correct. And, uh, and now you found uh, like-minded individuals uh, that uh, were, were kind of uh, moving that way. So, you know, recently I, I watched the Ken Burns uh, country music documentary, and while some of the others, Graham especially, uh, get name-checked, um, and, and granted, let, let's face it, the, the documentary is about country music and less so about uh, rock and roll or popular music. Um, I, I just I, I find it a little sad that the First National Band was not mentioned, that you weren't mentioned, because you were doing some of this stuff even pre-Monkeys. You had this uh, feel in, in your music. Um, and, you know, I, I look to uh, Papa Jean's Blues from 1966. You know, obviously... Uh, a different drum, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, but there, it's already there, um, and you're already, you know. And let's face it, you're at the top of the pop culture food chain at this time, and you know, it's 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 seeping out of you, and some of these other people are, are picking up on it. You think that's a fair statement? Well, I think it's uh, it confuses causality. And that uh, whatever's oozing out of any of us has probably got a limited lifespan. But but in terms of it, us being nourishing, I mean, there is that moment where just where you need to put your foot, that it looks as if it's you're 12 inches shy of where you need to land. Somebody puts a 12-inch step down there for you so you can step on it. You don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. At least I never did. I never could figure it out. I, uh, and there's so, so like right place, right time. Uh, well, sort of yeah, but what I mean, right, uh, <clears throat> right musical riff. Uh-huh. You just you just don't ever know. You start singing, and 
something comes out and you think, oh, that stays. And uh, you bring them in the house, keep them nice and dry and warm and set them up in a comfortable chair and give them something to play. It's, um, there, there's a lot to understanding this music of the future that is ineffable. You can't understand it because you don't, we don't have uh, the ability to not to not see the Twin Towers when they were there. Because hmm. if we saw them once, we they're, saw they're them forever. They're always there, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I know that sounds philosophical. I don't mean it to be philosophical. And sure, it's, you know, it's worth hours around a campfire, but, but what I mean by it is that there is this obvious self-evident appearing mm. of the ever-present now in my life and everything. When you're a music, when you're a musician, and that's what you're trafficking in, then that now presses itself forward through the music. About where we started, it presses itself forward through the music. And if you're listening to the way everybody's playing in an ensemble, you'll start to hear these little things pop out, little arpeggiations. Um, somebody switches key or switches to a different uh, register on a bass or something. All of those things start to happen, and then you become aware of the room. And it goes on. Now, you and I can't hear the airport from here, but who knows? Maybe we do. Right. I, don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to pick it out of the stuff that's going on in my head. So you're you're saying you're too close to the moment to kind of recognize these, you know, this influence or or whether it was there or not. You're just on a day to day job, putting this music together with these guys, hoping that uh, it will gain some audience of some form. Well, that's well said, and I stipulate to it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But there's a piece that I don't hear quite, and I probably should address which is, uh, it is, it's a very high space, very high mental space. I don't know what high means to a lot of people, but I know what it means to me. It means a sense of the ever-presence of God, mm -hmm. eternal, infinite, perpetual good, mm -hmm. omnipotent, everywhere present, always. And that's a state of mind which becomes my mind when I step into that state, when I go through that door, which I do all the time. You, you and I wandering out of it, we're just getting buttermilk out of the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it, 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 it has a cumulative effect because the more we see it and the more we hear it, the more we say, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And we just steer towards it because it's the light. Mm -hmm. Oh, there it is. Move over there. And that's what you were doing with the... With, so you get that feeling mostly when you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, that, that's yeah. where you find it as opposed to opening the refrigerator. Uh, it's when you are on stage with a group of talented musicians mm -hmm. that you can dance with. Well, to a degree, and I'll submit, going back just a couple of sentences, that this music that is continuously playing in my head is playing in everybody's head. Mm. And you just don't attend to it. We just don't think about it. Can so, are we talking like music as the language of the universe, the omnipotent? Well, no. I'm talking about "Happy Birthday to You" and 
Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, a very, very simple straight ahead block chord music mm -hmm. that we have learned from the musicians of our culture. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So again, back to the First National Band, uh, you know, obviously having uh, this you know, influence in, at the time uh, in the scene uh, in L.A., it's going to turn into a bigger scene. Also, Americana, which is this huge genre today, I think a lot of those fans should go back and listen to those records uh, because there's that influence from, you know, that's, it's, it's the source. It's the, it's the fountainhead uh, in some ways, along with the band and, and, and some others. But I, I think, and again, I, that, in my research, what I kept coming back to is like, it's like people are forgetting this thing here. And, you know, we've got this new record that's coming out. So mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for people to revisit and then kind of, you know, put their two cents into it. And that's, that's what I took away. That's what I heard. Do, do, mm -hmm. do you agree with that, or am, am I way off base here? No, I, I agree with it by and large. We all have to bring something to the music we listen to, or we can't hear it. Yeah. So um, there's a, a lot of that that goes on with First National Band. Mm -hmm. You've you got to bring the music of your life there. And I don't know whether it'll be the power seat that makes a noise that combines with the way the music is playing, or whether it's Honey, I'm Home. Mm -hmm. It's just some presence of a musical note. Now, what I would like to demonstrate is that Honey, I'm Home can be preserved for 10,000 years. I just like that idea. Yeah. 10,000 years in the future, somebody walks into that edifice, as they push that, boop, Honey, I'm Home. <laughs> that would be magical, especially if it came from here. Yeah, from from yeah, which we have this opportunity yeah. to do now, yeah. which well, yeah. previous uh, 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 cultures just you know that existed before the certainly the twentieth century really don't have that opportunity, and you've you've had that in spades when you get well, yes, there. and and but you know there are guys who are working hard on this stuff, uh, like Kevin Kelly, and uh, uh, these are all guys down at the peninsula, at the at the at the fort. It's right there. What's it called? Uh, uh, Naval. Uh, um... No, it's right there by the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, Presidio. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Letterman. Where yeah. they've made the stages, you know, into made made the old bunks and stuff into stages and uh -huh. office buildings and so forth. Stewart's down there, and then, uh, I think Kevin Kelly is down there, sort of all working together in this ten thousand year foundation. Uh -huh. I did not give them any money, <laughs> <laughs> but you're still. Uh, do you are, do you still stay in touch with those folks? I don't actively, but mm -hmm. if they reach out to me, I'm I'm a, I'm good for a touch most of the time. Right, right. Yeah. So you know, again, I I, I keep you know th coming back to this, but I, I want to you know I mentioned Linda Ronstadt and that you know we you know this thing about your position and in, in this alchemy of this country rock which is there it's a big explosion today there's there's in fact a lot of rock and rollers have moved to nashville and that you can hardly tell the difference between the, uh, the music it's not so separated whereas back in the 60s there was a giant separation between uh, those two camps if you if you will um but you you wrote different drum uh, which was Linda Ronstadt's first hit uh, with Stone Ponies, uh, and, and also Paul Butterfield's Mary Mary as well. 
uh, and all this before you were ever cast in the band that, you know, you're most famous for? Well, uh, the all this that you just mentioned is two songs. <laughs> well, so that's fair still, enough. hey, fair you know, one, one was a big hit and, and launched a, a giant career. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an accomplishment. Well, I feel like it is, and I don't, you know, those are my children uh, right. uh, in spirit, and, and they're the ones that uh, I take care of as best I can. Let's go back to even before that uh, and talk about you growing up as a, as a Texas boy, and how, how did that shape you? You, grew, you were born and raised in Houston, Texas, right? Uh, no, I was born and raised in uh, Texas, yeah. but I was all over. My family was all over Texas. Oh, mo- you, so you, did, did you guys move around a lot? No, but they lived all over the place, so we went visiting. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. and so we, San Antonio, Corpus Christi, on it goes, Austin. But Well, I, that's, a, that's a huge territory. It has a scale to it that you almost can't believe something as simple as country music came out of it. Mm-hmm. And when TV started, dum dum da dum da 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 dum that stuff <clears throat> that the classically trained composers thought of as I don't know big Western music, great Western music. What the hell that was? It wasn't cowboy music. Oh, you mean like something like Mitch Mitchell or something like that? So no, you've gone too far with Mitch <laughs> Mitchell. Now I'm talking about I'm talking about people who really knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like an arrow to the heart was rock and roll. Chuck Berry, the first iterations. First iterations, Fat Domino, New Orleans, to some degree Memphis and the Memphis guys, Elvis and Jerry Lee and Carl. Those are punctuations. That thing. But they were coming forward from the old jazz instruments, so they didn't have the crunch. Yeah. Like, you know, so stand-up bass and things like that. That's and, right. Yeah. Uh, also and, simple recording uh, techniques, so you didn't yeah. get the punch of the drums and yeah. that. Yeah. Look, Tom, Johnny's going crazy while he's standing up on the bass. Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't fall down, Johnny. Uh you know, uh, musically, uh, you know, what, what, what was that moment when the, the light turned on? What, was it like Elvis on, uh, on Ed Sullivan? Or, you it, know, was, uh, it was Carl. Uh, Carl Perkins. Perkins and a 1951 DeSoto radio, dashboard radio, turned up to 11. Uh-huh. And it was... Uh, it's one full of money, two full of show, three full of baby. I don't want to go, but don't. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I was away. Oh, really? That was it. That, that was, was the it. Moment. Yeah. When, it, when it started into his rhythm. How old were you? 13. Yeah, perfect time. And I thought, I thought, <clears throat> where the hell is this coming from? Who are these people? i got to find these people. I'll bet they go to my school. <laughs> I'm sorry, but thanks for playing anyway. Nesmith <laughs> really? No rock and rollers in uh, your high school, huh? Well, there were a couple, but that really what they were was just bad and smelly. And they didn't really, they, they, they didn't measure up. They were not Bob Dylan by a long shot. Mm, mm. And, and they were not, you know, it was, it, and they were not, they didn't constitute any culture. Mm-hmm. There was no social circle, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. 
hair, hair was still much oh, short. Oh, yeah. Oh, very yeah. short. Yeah. You know, everybody looked like well, black crazy killers. Yeah. yeah exactly that was right. not allowed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Carl Perkins uh, was was that moment. Um, you know, you're an only child, and you mostly grew up... Wait a minute. I am? I'm kidding. <laughs> don't, don't scare me like that. <laughs> uh, and you, you mostly grew up with a single mother uh, at the time. Uh, and, and especially in the South, that, 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 that might be considered even scandalous, but somehow I'm betting that 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 was never an issue with with you as a as a kid growing up. You you never looked at it that way. Uh, we know the accomplishments uh, of your mother, uh, inventing liquid paper, being a you know high end uh, uh, secretary uh, for a bank, um, and all that. So uh, you know quite an accomplished woman. Um, but it still is a, is a kind of a, a unique uh, uh, childhood, wouldn't you say? Well, I think so. I think the most unique part of it. Was the metaphysics and the teachings, spiritual teachings, from your mother, from the Christian Science Church? Oh, okay. She was an ardent Christian scientist. Uh huh. There are um, lesson uh, sermon and uh, lesson practices where people read certain passages as instructed, not instructed, but as recommended mm-hmm. to read that are called lessons, and so you just keep up with them, and they go on year after year after year. They're reconstituted at, back at the, what's called the Mother Church in the Publishing Society, so you have different lesson plans every time. And she studied that. She was a, a Sunday school teacher and so forth, and she practiced it, which I have saved to the last because, as you may know, Christian science practices metaphysical healing. That's... No, no drugs, no doctors, no nothing <clears throat> yeah. that that manipulate the uh, material picture through materia medica of any kind. It can be, you know, a radio-driven suture somewhere, still materia medica. You have to stay away from that link from the infinite to the finite or from the finite trying to get to the infinite because if you ever make that connection, it shorts out. Hmm. And you don't. Everything's gone. You do, what just happened? Why didn't this work? Well, you back, go back over it, comb and rinse, comb and rinse, comb and rinse, and then suddenly there it pops up, and you say, "Oh, I see. Yeah, of course, that's absurd. That mm-hmm. won't work." There was a. This is a very simple kind of uh, story, but this is a story you hear a lot among Christian scientists, and my mother among them, that uh, someone will have a recurrence of a terrible, terrible problem. Migraine, headaches, what you got? Anything you got, it just, but it repeats and repeats and they can't get rid of it. And they've, they've studied and they've practiced and they've done all the metaphysical work and all the spiritual work they, th- they think that Christian science has given to them, but they still have these terrible, terrible headaches. Mm-hmm. And the thought occurs to the practitioner, well, I'm just not being faithful enough. I'm just not being clear enough. I'm just not, I'm not doing it right. Somehow I've got, I've got to figure out how to do it right and do it that way. I'm just doing it wrong. And the, the 
question and answer that comes is then if you're doing it right, then you'll have the results. And if you're not, then you won't. And that's a, uh, a simple either-or position to go forward from. Even if you're suffering from a physical ailment like a migraine, yeah. which we know yeah. has a physical cause. Yeah, yeah. But when that thought comes in, it replaces the other thought because of, well, because of things which just take forever to learn. You have to prize it out of Scripture and out of text and out of things. You've got to figure out, what? So, oh, that's what they were talking about. Those sorts of things happen all the time. But anyway, my mother practiced religiously, no pun intended, mm -hmm. and she was um, dedicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, a part of her dedication to it was just uh, uh, feeling responsible to me as a single mother. And she was uh, cautious not to get me in trouble because she was a single mother, meaning by that not having enough food for me mm -hmm. or not having enough clothing for me and so forth. People were watching her because she was a single mother and they were thinking, oh, she doesn't have, he's going to end up on community care and she's yeah. going to end up with yeah. the goodwill. Yeah. But neither one of it happened. Does right. anybody who knows the story knows? Yeah. And 100% in, in my estimation, after having marched up to the witness stand and sworn in, is that every single pro progressive, positive step that she took and made in her life or in mine was a direct result of her careful, clear practice of her metaphysics, of Christian science. That's, that's all I can say, mm -hmm. but I can't prove any of it. And that rubbed off on you? Well, I think it, uh, it, it created an armor on me of some kind. Okay. Yeah, it was more of a panoply than it was, you know, a, a curative or mm -hmm. purification. Mm -hmm. It was clunk. <laughs> Nothing's getting through here, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it, it's part of the part of Christian science, as the name would imply, is logic. Yeah, and to have these logical doors that open and shut by reason of logic is thrilling to me. I love that. I like to see that happen in a song. Any place I can make it happen. That's thanks. That's a great answer. So that 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 opens up a, a door, a window into who you are. So uh -huh. I can see that um, you were active uh, in arts during high school, uh, but instead of pursuing college, which I am going to assume was definitely a possibility, uh, you joined the Air Force. Um, kind of a little like Johnny Cash. Uh, so same question: How how did the Air Force shape you? Well, the Air Force was an exit door. I felt as if I was living in some kind of a prison. Really? And uh, it had a lot to do with uh, my mother's struggles with money, mm -hmm. being poor mm -hmm. in the hot summer south. Yeah, no fun. Yeah, as Tennessee Williams taught us all. Mm -hmm. And um, the Air Force... Join the Air Force and see the world. Join the Navy and see the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it was a way out. That was basically all there was to it. It wasn't any... Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was a next step in my 
cosmic journey. It was just a, 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 a guaranteed oh, open door. Yeah, an open door, yeah. air conditioning, <laughs> which I did not have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. So you grew up uh, without that in the... Oh, man. Yeah, 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 Gothic South. Well, I don't want to, you know, I'm like Ali, you don't complain that you got beat up. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> right. It just is. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right. It's, it's part of the existence. You didn't know any better. No, it was right. just the way it was. Right, right. So you wouldn't you wouldn't say that being in the Air Force was really like a life changing experience or really added to that armor. Uh, well, there or was took some, some of that armor off. There was something to it because, in it to what you say, because I thought they don't want me here to work on aircraft, sweep the hangars, polish propellers. They want me here to take a bullet for them. Mm. They yeah. want me here to kill me. They have to have somebody die. So they can replace them and keep that game going, <laughs> and I—that's not what I signed up for. Mm-mm. I thought I'd be a reciprocating engine mechanic on a forty-three, seventy-four, four-seven, C forty-seven. Yeah, C forty-seven. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the uh, engine number. R R four R forty-three. No, we're it was a long get, time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> they don't even make them anymore. You said it was more. Well, just I knew I had to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. So I went to my CEO and I said, "I got to get out of here." I can't. Uh, can't this is not this. working for me. Right. That was it. But he basically said, "What? People can't just walk in here and say, I'm going to leave. I want to leave. This is too tough. Yeah. And I said, You no. can now, but you yeah. couldn't then. Right. I said, Well, I'm not going to just say it's too tough. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I, I suppose you can weather anything, but what's the point? Yeah. I don't understand the point of doing something <laughs> like that. Right. Uh, do you get hardened and better somehow? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, well, so what am I doing here? And he said, well, I can't just let you go. And I said, well, you check into it, please, just to see. He said, yeah, but, you know, I can tell you right now, there's not going to be a part in that. If somebody just wants to go home, what do you do? I said, okay. So he called up in a week, and he said, well, I got a word back, and uh, there is a provision to let you out. But you have to go out as a general discharge, which means an honorable discharge, because otherwise they don't have any way of keeping you on their books for your veterans' um, uh, the uh, benefits. Benefits, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, it all sounds Greek to me. I don't know what it means to you or anybody else that's out there. But sure thing. But I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just figure me out of here. And, mm-hmm. and how, how long can I, how much longer do I have to stay? Did you play music in the Air Force? Did you? No, but I got a good dose. I got I had a heroic dose, overdose, um, from Hoyt Axton. Oh. I went up to Oklahoma City, fart around with another Air Force buddy. Yeah, because you were stationed there, right? Well, I was stationed a little ways away from Oklahoma City in a town called Elk City, mm-hmm. which was outside of a little town called Canute, <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> Oh, boy. When I tell this story, what, what a story it makes. I just, I'll never write it up, not ever. No, it just, it, it, needs, it needs to have its, opens, uh, its open-endedness, if yeah, you will. it sure does. All right, Hoyt Axton. Well, he said that there's a guy named Hoyt Axton plays folk music. You play folk music, don't you? And I said, uh, you know, not well, but he said, well, let's go see him. So... It was a small theater, looked to be a conversion of a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Had a raised stage and a little bit of a bank to the seats, like that. 
And Hoyt came out, and he did just a rousing show. Uh, and everybody sang along with him when he played Greenback Dollar. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was uh, very effective and emotional when he played lost love songs. And I thought, that's, that's the gamut of real stuff. I want to see if I can get next to that. So that was... Th this uh, seeing Hoyt uh, was kind of like your inspiration of like, hmm, I think I might be able to do the same thing. Well, sort of it was. I mean, I, I equate that with Davy's remark backstage when he saw the Beatles for the first time. He was at the show the Beatles played. At the, and oh, uh, uh, at, at Sullivan. At Sullivan. That's right. He was uh, in uh, uh, Oliver, right? Yes. Yeah. And doing a scene from Oliver. At yeah, this, on the same show, right. Yeah. And infamously said to somebody who wrote it down, hmm, that looks like fun. I think I'd like to do that. And you had did that with Hoyt. And Hoyt Axton did a little acting himself, right? Well, no, with Hoyt, I felt like it was really reachable. Well, maybe David did too. I thought, this is really reachable. I can do this. Yeah, you just yeah. Said, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so then you get out of the Air Force, you go back home to Texas, and you start playing music and trying to to make a career out of that, right? Well, I started, you know, folding and stacking men's clothing. Well, I mean, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> the primary yeah. job yeah. to pay for the opportunity stock boy yeah. <laughs> to, to play music, right? Right. But that didn't last very long, and you uh, you hightailed it to L.A. No. I hightailed it to San Antonio, where my aunt and uncle lived, and uh, enrolled in the junior college there. Okay. At which me and John Keeney have the... Uh, I'm going to go with you won an award. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, what did that do? Confused me. Really? Yeah. I, I thought, what did I get an award for? I didn't... I didn't you didn't do think any. you were that good. Well, no, I wasn't that good. I just didn't. There was no. It was effortless. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought. Well, really? really, I didn't even put any work in, into it, uh, yeah. and I ended up with the first prize. Yeah. Wow. So, um, for winning the contest, I usually get a uh, hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so you win the award. Win the award. And. Phyllis tells me I'm pregnant. Oh, okay. Okay. First child on the way. Here he comes. Mm -hmm. And much crying and moaning and gnashing of teeth. And it's, you know, if you, an unwanted pregnancy is one of the toughest things ever. Yeah. And you have to make your peace with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, you have to make your peace with it. Yeah. So you did. And she did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ours was we're going to raise this child and see and try to do our job. And she did a lot better job than I did in terms of, you know. And this is in San Antonio. Well, no, we, we said, let's flee. We'll go from here to L.A. and I'll get a job playing a guitar. Okay. No, no, we never moved back. No. Once we were on the run from <laughs> San Antonio. So that that was the impetus to get you to L.A.? Yeah, pregnant girlfriend. 
thinking that you'd make more money playing guitar in L.A. than in San Antonio. Well, I suppose there was some st sort of things like that. There was a lunacy afoot, no doubt. But you did just win that award. But I was a goddamn sack headliner. <laughs> well, no, I, I, di I didn't have any uh, ideas about doing anything other than just what I have been doing. Going to local restaurants around, playing for supper, uh -huh. and and then taking Phyllis in once or twice a week so she got something to eat. What year did you get to L.A.? 63, 63, 64. 63, 64, okay. And then you... Uh, uh, you get told about this audition that uh, uh, I think a friend of yours uh, had tried out for and uh, unsuccessfully, and uh, that... Uh, no, I think you're conflating me with Peter. Oh, I am. You're right. Stephen Stills, you're right. So <clears throat> how did you get that audition? Well, it was, they were open calls. Yeah. You don't get them. You just, I mean, you're not awarded them. You, they're just there. But you didn't have like a manager or somebody saying, uh, well, I did hey, have, I uh, did. Mikey, you need to go down <clears throat> here on uh, Monday morning at 830. And but there was nobody quite as uh, organized as that. You know, mm -hmm. it was just all, we were all just sort of friends hanging out. Mm -hmm. I, by that time, I was working for Randy Sparks in a band called uh, Leadbetters. No, in a band, in a club called Leadbetters mm -hmm. in a band called The Survivors. Whew, that was hard. Good. <clears throat> Pulled that one out. Man. <clears throat> From the archives. Five or six utterly unrelated things in my <laughs> head. So, um, yeah, of course, you end up in what becomes The Monkees. Uh, and while there is a lot to unpack, um, starting with that, because it it's really... It's, it's originally conceived as a concept to capitalize on this new music explosion, right? Well, I don't really know. I mean, all I know is I got a call yeah. from uh, the people that I'd seen that we'd like you to come back and read for us. Mm -hmm. That's the way it was unfolding. Like okay, that. okay. Yeah. So then now you kind of knew, oh, hey, there's a real chance at this uh, job. I don't know. There was a point at which I flipped from doubt and uncertainty to a moral certainty that I had won the job that was long before they called up and said, okay, you're in. Oh, really? Okay. By long before, I'm talking about a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. mean years. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but that was, there wasn't, other than that, there was no uh, mumbo jumbo. Mm -hmm. Or Spook City stuff. It was mm -hmm. just it was just mm -hmm. straight ahead. Go down, apply for the job. I got the job. Worked hard. I did a really good job. They gave me a raise and a promotion. Then <laughs> they yeah. threw me into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now I I I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's a well trod subject matter. Many books. A lot of people know a lot about that. Um, but you know, my my question or my first question to ask is because the show, given my age. Um, was my first experience into this weird world I had heard that these adults were talking about um, that we now know as the counterculture. And this was, you know, this was, that's what I saw. That, you know, so to me, this weird thing that my, especially my conservative parents were afraid of was now on national television once a week that I was freely allowed to watch. Did you guys see that at the time? Did you guys go, wow, we're, we're selling 
they're selling the counterculture too. No, he well, shakes too. his head no. <laughs> he, uh, <clears throat> I didn't see it at all. And when we started getting uh, fan mail, I took them as legitimate letters, even if they were written in Crayola on a brown paper bag. Mm-hmm. I mean, I figured, oh, well, whoever this is, sincere about it. Hi, Mac. My name is John. Bye, Mac. <laughs> I hope you, you sign the picture, send, put it in the mail, send, send it me a picture. Right, right, right. So you never looked at it like mm-hmm. uh, that this was a bigger thing than just a TV show. Well, I thought that I thought TV was probably as big as it would ever be, but that it would be as big as TV ever was. Mm-hmm. So you follow what yeah, I'm yeah, there? at that moment, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I figured it. This is boy, a, were you wrong? <laughs> well. I think the presence of the monkeys uh, alters the reality of the landscape. Yeah. And so when, like in VH1, and the re, they re, reconstitute the monkeys, and that's the third time I've said reconstitute today. <laughs> and It's a word of the day. It must be. Uh, and <clears throat> the... Um, <laughs> well, let me ask a different question for okay, you. Okay. Yeah. So now, with 50 years on, okay, okay um, <clears throat> what do you think the legacy of the band and how does it fit in the pantheon of what we now call the rock and roll era? Well, it's completely misnomered and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Monkees were not a band. The Monkees were a character in a television show yeah. about a band. Mm-hmm. So what were the four of us? Actors. Right. Yeah. We were... Well, it started that way. Well, I think you guys got a little closer. Yeah, but if you jump if you jump ahead like that, you don't see the progression of it. Okay. And the progression of it was uh, organic. That's what made it so invisible. People who would try to figure out, what's going on with that monkeys thing, man? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, that is so parent, apparently, transparently, obviously false. And yet, there's thousands of people lining up for live tickets for these guys. What's going on here? Is, it, is there something we don't know? Blah, blah, blah. And then they would... Uh, well, maybe the four of you transcended the concept. <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and, and you would, uh, you know, when you'd see that kind of ride, say, yeah, come on, we'll... We'll go take a close look at this. I always stepped away from it. I always said, no, I don't want to do that. I'll just let this play out. Uh, I wrote a song about it, which is Tapioca Tundra. <laughs> Tapioca Tundra. Yeah. I don't know what album it's on. It's on Monkey's album. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so, like, from inside the bubble? Is that the... Uh. No, it's um, it's several dimensional layers away. I don't know how many there are, so I don't know how many to see. And there's a lot of them. There's 50 billion of them. And like, Look, there's only three dimensional layers. But I don't want to get into that because I don't know. But again, you know, you you you. When we look back at, at this, it it is it is this big moment. Um, uh, the the number of record sales alone are, is extraordinary. Well, let's uh, let's hone the question a little bit because I think what's what's tripping us up here 
is, is there's, we're trying to cover too much territory with the answer. Mm. And, and I don't think it can be done. Um, because I, I sit and kind of fiddle with that all the time. You know, so how did this thing go? What really was the cause of this thing and so forth? Mm -hmm. And I, I have never been able to do anything other than crawl up and dry out, dry off in the sun on a sandy beach, which ain't bad. I mean, you know, a lot of people would love to come to that yeah. space. So Tapioca Tundra explored that space that's on the outside of what we think of as all. Go on. Oh, no, that's all that's there it. is. That's all I get? That's all there is. <laughs> that's as far as I've taken it. I've well, uh, maybe maybe you're just too close to to the <laughs> the subject because, I mean, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm late-stage boomer, um, and I've run into people that have the same adoration and the, the same uh, uh, love as, you know, people do for, you know, the Beatles or any of these other, you know, uh, huge cultural uh, moment makers, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And you guys had that, you had that wave, you had there. And, and you know, you, you were able to do things with it, such as, uh, you know, you got to be friends with uh, the Beatles, especially John. You were at the, uh, uh, the recording of the symphonic uh, piece of Day in the Life. Uh, which I, I think a lot of people didn't know until like a, a movie showed up like decades later. Yeah. And there you are, uh, you know, wearing a little clown's nose like uh, all the, the orchestra players uh, were, were. And so, I mean, you know, this, this is, this is uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely in the peak of the zeitgeist of, of that time. And I, and I guess it, it, it I, I guess it's a little strange to. But is to, there a question there. in there? I don't I don't hear one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just let's just take it back because that that you know uh, and and say you know you were there at that the day that okay. uh, this piece of day in the life was. Will, what was that like? I will grant you that. Well, it it, it wasn't the least bit um, striking in any way. First of all, that was a work environment. It wasn't a, a set. Yeah. Second of all, yeah. since it was a work environment, it didn't have any of the uh, trademarks and things that you would usually see or unusual lighting or star lighting or anything. It, was, it just looked like a studio. It looked Very like different this. experience than what you were used to uh, yeah. every day. Yeah, right? it didn't look like you were setting up a big production. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, there were 100 and what, 115 pieces in there. Yeah, yeah. Plus a party of about yeah. 50 people. Yeah, in fact, that wouldn't, they, they doubled the... Uh, the strings so that they could they could get that bigger sound. I yeah, think something the, like that. I think that's what Ringo his solution was. Well, let's just we'll get two orchestras and put them together. Yeah. That sort of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's have a little talk about time and space, Ringo. <laughs> there, right there, <laughs> with, with with Ringo. Yeah. So, all right. Last last question on 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 the TV show on the, on the monkeys. What what if Mike Nesmith was never in the monkeys? Or if you'd like to look at it a little differently, what if the band was formed as a working group first? Um, how would your musical life be different? Well, assuming it's all the same four characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Pete out. on guitar, Davey on drums, Mickey in front, and you on bass, I think, which was the more natural instrumentation for the guys, right? 
And we had ironed out instrumentation mm -hmm. and material mm -hmm. and who was a front man and who was not, mm -hmm. costuming and all the stuff that was ironed out in, in a month on the TV show uh, would get ironed out over time mm -hmm. if you're yeah. out doing it yourself. Yeah. And I'm not even talking TV show. I mean, oh, just no. as a, a band, you know. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. Bob Ravelson said to me one time, you know, Nez, I could have picked any four guys. Mm -hmm. Any four guys. And I picked you. But it could have been anybody. And I said, no, Bob, it couldn't have been anybody. No. Uh, because it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was that character. I brought the force of my individual life to bear on that character. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, same with the other guys. <clears throat> granted, I'm not good enough an actor to say this is how I did it, mm -hmm. or to say wasn't I good at it, or any of those other things. Only that it happened. Yeah, I can I can see that it happened, just like I can see the aftermath of a car wreck. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think the four of you would have, could have come together as a as a band? Well, it's entirely speculative. I mean, of course. A, well, I, We're just having fun, but do you think the four of you would have, could have come together as a as a band? Well, it's entirely speculative. I mean, of course. A, well, I, We're just having fun. Yeah, but, smoking dope and having no, fun. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, but but it's too hard to think about. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. I want to think about having fun smoking dope. Right. All right. So <clears throat> you go from. Uh, as we we talked a little earlier, you know, the first national band, uh, and uh, which has this influential uh, lifespan uh, in the first part of the seventies, and then you uh, you go into this video world, uh, which I think you created the company Pop Clips uh, Pop Clips in nineteen seventy four. Is that right? Well, this is this stumps a lot of people doing podcasts and uh -huh. research. And <clears throat> Because there is, at this moment, the one you are standing on the threshold of, a sea change. Sea change in my life. It comes in more like a tsunami, less like a light switch. It just rolls in and takes everything out with it. Until you're left sort of paddling in the warm detritus of a of a misspent youth. I mean, out on the side of like that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's grim. Is that how you felt in 74? Well, I think I felt it more than I knew that I felt it. Right. I think it right. was, by that time, it had been deeply ingrained in subconscious. Yeah. Because yeah. it had been developing since, since I was six years old, since I went into elementary school. Mm. But be that as it may, what was going on at the time that you're talking about getting this music to people I wasn't thinking as much as I am these days about the 10,000 year old concept mm -hmm. I just wanted it to be a hit I wanted lots of people I was looking for infinite approbation yeah. some way to get everything all, all right all the time right one of the important definitions of the kingdom of heaven, I think. So you start this company. 
Well, no, this company started in 74. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 we're way past 74 by now. So, well, now is what you're trying to do. Is, is, is you, that's a continuation is what you're telling me here. Well, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Uh, it's a continuation, but it's not one that has a, a, a business plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you roll a ball of string out on the floor, and, mm-hmm. and depending on <clears throat> are there kittens... The ball will roll straight or it'll roll like this. <laughs> right, right, right. And <clears throat> normally it, it does move around and it's not a straight line uh, right. to, to any kind of uh, success. Uh, you have to work at it. You have to move it. You have to deal with uh, right. barriers and uh, that get in the way. It's always a, a, a pleasure to find out that that's not hard. Mm-hmm. That the ball, the yarn doesn't weigh very much. The no. kittens are all soft and fuzzy and declawed. <laughs> you can't somehow. control it in, in yeah. some some yeah. manner. So, but right. I, I think my point is is that you know we talked about your music and, and the influential uh, aspects of that, and now you're you get into video and you begin to do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, from cop clips comes MTV. You know. Years later, um, uh, you make uh, elephant parts, which I went to film school, and that was required viewing. Uh, it was? Uh, yeah. This, this, I went in uh, 80, 81, 82. Where? And so it was new, and it was like, oh, you got to see this. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it was. It was this sort of uh, um, new way, uh, you know, to, to, to make these, these little uh, uh, movies, uh, if you will. And so, so my question is, out of, out of that, more than anything else, i got to know personally, what happened to Lucy, Ramona, and Sunset Sam? <laughs> People on the streets looking for a plan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, it was just a, 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 an amazing period, uh, that. And then you go and do television parts in 85. Mm. And how did you hook up with some of the greatest comedic minds of the next generation beats me but uh, i mean i remember the i got an order from nbc for a primetime show mm-hmm. for a half hour a week for seven weeks yeah. eight weeks uh-huh oh and so was it was it a summer replacement uh, type of show well who knew they, they don't tell you at that time <laughs> yeah, just, we'll take eight see, here's give me deliver eight right right and and uh, so I didn't make it according to any seasons, mm-hmm. except my own sense of funny. Yeah, yeah. So did you? Were you in charge of picking these talents uh, to do these short films? Well, I had the king's veto, but that you know that didn't get you very far. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> it was it was more of a group of producers and writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. great, and so on and yeah. so forth. I put my foot down absolutely no way on Jerry Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. You I, lost that one. What? You must have lost that one. Big time. Because he's in it. <laughs> Big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, and and they also kept saying, "But this is a very funny routine." I said, "Well, it's kind of funny. It's not really hilarious." The sock. Uh, yeah, and uh, my and my uh, right? touchstone for funny is a. Uh, uh, Flying Circus. Monty Python. Yeah. Ah, yes. The surrealism, the absurdity. Not there. Irony. Okay. All right. It's with, not not with Jerry. Jerry is, you know, Mr. Let Me Get the Check. I mean, he's not. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
All right. Uh, and, well, and, how do we get off on that? We got uh, we, who left? We were the, the finding of these comedic uh, geniuses oh, yeah, yeah. that <clears throat> later on all become giant stars. I mean, you're talking yeah. Whoopi Goldberg, uh, as we said, Jerry Seinfeld, um, uh, Jay Leno, uh, Gary Shandling, just. You know, you must have loved Gary Shandling. Well, I th- Gary and I could have been best friends, but something strange happened. And I don't know what it was. He he came out to Santa Fe one time to visit me at my ranch. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is what I'm looking for. How do you do this? And I said, well, i got to have a better definition of this than that. <laughs> he said, I- I'm trying, I've been trying to do this in L.A., and it all just looks like a, a, a shopping center. Strip mall. I said, yeah, well, big houses tend to do that. you gotta, you got to find an architect who can find a blah, 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 blah. And we had this unfolding, rambling conversation about his house. And from there into his career, future, and so on and so forth. And always there was this return to the question of how did you do this? What did you make happen here? This is, he didn't say this, but it was like, these are some serious powers of manifestation. I don't know what's going on, like that. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just make effort to be friends with Gary. So I called him a couple of more times. He was uh, not available. So I just left it at that. And after about the third or fourth time I called, I thought, no, Something's up. Something's up. Yeah. Leave it alone. So I um, was watching when he got to the end of this last episode, last series of shows, see what what he was going to do. And um, it looked to me like he didn't have any step off, nothing. He was just coming to an end. Thank you very much. Good night. And it wasn't, uh, there was no fall to roll to it at all. And so, when was it? I think it was two or three days later, I saw in the newspaper where he had died. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait a minute. I just saw Gary. Did he kill himself? What did he do? No cause of death. So I go back into the, the records, the county records which has cause of death, mm-hmm. a, sort by, a sorted vital field. Fentanyl. Oh, it wasn't a heart attack. It was... Fentanyl. A drug overdose. Fentanyl and an Accidental. opioid. Okay. And it pissed me off. I bet. It really pissed me off, because I loved Gary. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? How? <laughs> I don't know how we got here. We're talking about Gary. I guess... Well, he was close on, to him. He yeah. was he was in television parts. Was, yeah, well, he was. <clears throat> and then he was one one of the other <clears throat> comedians that go on to such greatness after yeah. that. So, yeah. and before we leave this, I just got to say that you, I think you won the first uh, Grammy for music video for Elephant yeah. Parts. Yes, again, a real reason why us film <laughs> uh, geeks all had to watch that that thing, which yeah. I love to death. Uh, yeah, especially cruising. I yeah. really loved cruising. Yeah, uh, laughing will get you through an hour faster than drinking well. Yeah. So, 
you know, you mentioned Monty Python, and and, and I can see this now, this the surrealism uh, of that. Uh, did you catch that early on in '69 when they first showed up on the BBC? Did I catch it with them? With yeah, the, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you. Yeah. No, I was I was actually pre. 69 with them. Oh, really? Did yeah. you know Did you know the, the, the guys, uh, yeah. Cleese? And, the woman uh, that I ultimately married, the mother of my children, hipped me to them. She said, these, oh. these guys are all the underground rage. Oh, yeah. And she had picked up all the magazines and mm-hmm. where they were starting to show up. She said, you got to follow them, you know, get mm-hmm. in touch with them somehow. I said, well, I'll try. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> well, that's too bad. So I... I you know, as I as I went through and I, I, I spent time, you know, looking at you, I, I came to this question about, are you a musician first or a comedian first? Well, they're the same thing. Are so they? They are indeed. How so? Well, I think... I it, mean, a, a performing-wise, <clears throat> I, I can see uh, that. Yeah. Short uh, um, uh, skits or songs, uh, I can see that put together in a longer form. I can, I can see that. Am, am, yeah. Is that where we're going? No. I mean, what you just described to me is an album, and it's, but it's not like that. The, if you look at the way a comedian and a musician play notes, mm-hmm. which are words, mm-hmm. to a comedian and notes to a player... Okay. You start to see certain ways that they articulate. The way they put the emphasis on the wrong syllable <laughs> and the and those sorts of things that either can get a laugh or not. Right. And or the pause, the timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of those things are musical. Yeah. The muse sits in between the notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so once I sussed that out, I realized what a good time you can have at a party. I mean, that's basically what it boiled down to. I you you, you can do both, music it. and yeah. comedy. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you've pr- continued to pursue that uh, pretty much. I mean, you see that in uh, uh, in the new record. Uh, you know, you have your stories. and You even stop songs and kind of, you know, go, go on a, true, a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and it... The other thing that that I, I came across or, or came away with is it, it seems like you dive into something, you make a dent in the universe, and then you move on to something else. Well, why does that seem odd? I mean, that's just... Well, most people, they become an expert in this one thing, and they constantly push to it, push to it, even if they're banging their head against the wall. But isn't there a different definition for the word sojourner? Ah, yeah. Or, like, I, I know you're a Dylan fan, so like Bob Dylan said, he not busy being born, is busy dying. You're busy. <laughs> One way or the other. One way you're busy. Yeah. But you're constantly busy being born. We. All of us. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And that's just how you see life and how all of us should see life. Yeah, so when I start to write a song, that's that's primary in my head when I find players that's primary in my head that's going off all the time that's the design key which is that metaphysical basis for the continuous permanence of life Mm -hmm. so it's the right people at the right time that inspire you right people at the right time assembled by the right principle okay so that it's not random all right 
All right. So back to the beginning of our story uh, with the new release of Cosmic Partners McCabe tapes. I noticed in the pre-release liner notes that this was a Homeric journey for you. How so? Well, mostly because I didn't really know what the Homeric journey was. (laughs) (laughs) And now you do. (laughs) Holy crap, what did I do this for? (laughs) Oh, I did? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Was it uh, arduous to to find this, get this, put this together? I mean, did you feel like Ulysses uh, seven years out on your own? No, no. There There wasn't a moment of heavy lifting. When, in, in my experience, when the music takes flight, you know, its wings lift us all. I mean, it's just, 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 it's a flip on the tide rises all boats. But it's, when that happens, everybody feels it. It's a moment that's undeniable, uh-huh. which is a great word I learned to use from blues players. Undeniable? That's undeniable. Oh, oh yeah. Really. That's sweet. <laughs> you could say it about anything. Food. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh that's undeniable. Yeah, uh, I'll keep that one. Uh, I'll, I'll take that hey, one on listen, myself. We're, we're brothers. Huh? <laughs> well, Michael Nesmith, just, we just can't wait to see what the next thing is that you'll do. Thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock today. It's my pleasure. I love the world of podcasting. Well, we'll have to talk more about that. We will have to do that. thank him uh, for the time uh, as we meandered around his life. Uh, Please go out and get Cosmic Partners, the McCabe tapes, wherever you get your fine music. I also want to thank my new friend, Ed Heffelfinger, who set up the interview and produced the new disc. Great guy. What a life Nez has had, eh? I loved his answer to whether he was a musician or a comedian first. And he said they are basically the same thing. And he's right, of course. The timing and weaving of the instruments could be between himself and Red Rhodes or between himself and Peter, Davy, and Mickey or between the Marx Brothers. Uh, it's all in the practice, rehearsal, and performance of quality artists. Not much difference there, huh? 
I'm also fascinated with his business and entrepreneurial side, uh, Pacific Arts, pop clips, television parts, uh, and of course, elephant parts, where Nez was one of the first to create uh, highly produced promotional clips for his music. Um, in fact, he won uh, the first Grammy for uh, music video. So without Nez, maybe no MTV, huh? And finally, though I avoided a lot of, of it uh, in the interview because other parts of Nez's life are more interesting to me, I still look back with fondness on the monkeys. Uh, I doubt um, I thought about uh, this at the time, but really, <laughs> the show is fucking subversive. Uh, it may have seemed harmless, goofy fun uh, to the squares of the day. Um, and I'm sure they love to make fun of those silly kids and their silly desires to live life differently than the expected norm of birth, school, work, propagate, death cycle. Um, what the squares didn't know was that to kids all over America watching the madcap adventures of the prefab four, they were selling the counterculture every week on NBC, so for kids like me, uh, it was a bit of a classroom. And while the TV show well, was in fact tame, go spend some time with their feature film, Head, and get back to me. We're the young generation, and we've got something to say. They sure did. And then Nesmith went on to say a whole lot of other things, uh, and still does. Okay, that's it for this week. And yes, uh, I reversed and surprised all of you by giving you Michael Nesmith. Um, but those who were expecting Holly George Warren, please hold your hats. We're coming back with that next week. Uh, and we will uh, discuss in depth her new biography on Janis Joplin. That's it. Enjoy the turkey. And I hope Lucy and Ramona and Sunset Sam keep up the rockin'. <laughs> and Ramona cruising to the jungles of L.A. Hoping to promote a dream somewhere along the way. They're rolling through the streets looking for a disco passing up the treats from a kid named Cisco trying to make connections with their blemish food complexions And just as fate would have it Ended up with Sunset Sam Sam was selling watches From a suitcase on a TV tray Deeper Digs in Rock Produced and hosted by Kristen Swain all sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology.